folks. This is a fundraising pitch. Uh, you might have noticed that the show's been on hiatus for about the last six months. Okay, why? Well, I've been producing the Korea File ad-free for the last three years. That's 68 episodes. And it takes a lot of time and effort to track down interviews, research, edit, and produce the show. Of course, I gotta work to pay the rent, which doesn't leave a lot of time to focus on the podcast. So I'm wondering, is it possible to turn this into a part-time job? Maybe, but I need your help. Go to patreon.com slash thekoreafile and throw me a few dollars a month for the price of a cup of coffee at Tom and Tom's, for the cost of a sandwich at Isaac Toast, you can help turn this podcast into a sustainable project. And patrons get perks. For an ongoing donation of just $4 a month, you'll have access to extra content that you won't find anywhere else online, including bonus interviews and special subscriber-only episodes. If you can afford to contribute a little more every month, $10 donation gets you exclusive VIP access to information about upcoming guests and the opportunity to submit questions for future episodes, a kind of executive producer position. But hey, every dollar helps a lot, and listeners like you can help to sustain this podcast. So if you can contribute, again, go to patreon.com slash thekoreafile and donate a few bucks. Thanks. All right. Here's the episode. Broadcasting from Ann Arbor, this is The Korea File, a bi-weekly podcast about music, culture, and society from around the Korean Peninsula and the world. I'm Andre Gula. On this episode... The division of Korea remains one of the most volatile issues of our times, but a focus on geography, think DMZ, and the frequently televised, highly emotional reunions of long-separated family members are just two of the less subtle indications of a gradual trend towards unification. In her recent book, The Capitalist Unconscious, From Korean Unification to Transnational Korea, York University professor of sociology Hyunok Park demonstrates that the unseen currents of capitalism, rather than territorial integration or family union, are driving a movement towards peninsular integration and a united Korea. In this conversation, conducted before her recent lecture at the University of Michigan's NAM Center for Korean Studies, she discusses how migrant labor, identity politics, social activism, and media spectacle are each playing a part in the gradual trend towards unification, and why she sees the capitalist integration of the peninsula and its diaspora as a new democratic moment for the Korean people. In your book, the Capitalist Unconscious, From Korean Unification to Transnational Korea, you argue that capital, that is to say, the economic realities on the peninsula, have already unified the Koreas. What is transnational capital, and how does it pertain to the economies of North and South Korea? So I made this broader argument that Korea is already unified in a transnational form by capital. It's a way of historicizing Korean unification. So really, only when we recognize the current form of unification, then we can envisage a new form. So transnational Korea does not mean that um, South Korea won the Cold War against North Korea. Transnational Korea arises from the simultaneous crisis in South Korea and North Korea and the Korean Chinese community. So I'm looking into the role um, played by capital 
exchange of capital, labor, and ideas across the borders, and how those exchanges are taking place in very uneven ways, and how these communities, which have been separated during the Cold War, are reconnected and reimagined through the language of ethnicity and nation and democracy. Describe the capitalist integration of the two Koreas today as you see it. I see migrant workers um, across the borders uh, kind of as a protagonist of transnational Korea, which means like Korean Chinese migrating from China to South Korea as illegal migrants from the 19, late 1990s until late 2000s. And then also their migration coincide with the North Korea migration from North Korea to China and South Korea. And those migrants, I see them as migrant laborers, but then democratic politics, which I'm going to talk about in the talk, inscribe them as anyone other than laborers, like colonial returnees, uh, refugees. So I'm looking into this network of labor migration. How intertwined are they? and how fragmented they become in the representation by democratic politics. You call this a new democratic moment. Right. I'm looking at the democratic politics in the post-Cold War era. Um, they include reparation politics and also peacemaking and human rights advocacy. These three idioms of new democracy are quite pronounced in the way that these migrants across the Korean borders are inscribed and, and, and their rights and identities are constructed. So these new language of democracy are quite different from the way that democracy was talked about during the Cold War era. During the Cold War era, democracy was more about um, kind of emancipation of the people, which is conceptualized as mass utopia, how the people's you know, power or people's identity at the masses and their mass power are drawn from imagination, from the mass production and mass consumption. So, um, and today's democracy, like the three idioms of democracy, I conceptualize them as a kind of market utopia that hinges upon this homogenizing power of the market, but also fostering the notion of universal ethics, quite different. So present market utopia as the latest democratic politics. How does the capitalist logic of these politics influence legal and policy debates in South Korea? So I'm looking into capitalist logic in two ways. One is, I mean, that's the conceptualization that I explore with this term capitalist unconscious. It has two components. One is socio-political symbolization of capitalist experiences. The other one is kind of historical unconscious. I think these two components of the capitalist unconscious imagined capitalism as a democracy. It's kind of age-old practices going back to earlier moment of industrialization, like the 17th and 18th century in Europe, and and then also industrialization era, and there was a new imagination of capitalism as a mass utopia. So how you know latest neoliberalism is accompanied by the new imagination of capitalism as a democracy. So, you know, market utopia is a component or socio-political symbolization of these capitalist experiences. The other part, the historical unconscious, 
is presenting periodization, even politics of history, um, as, a, as a crucial exercise in representing capitalist experiences. So how capitalist crisis in the present moment is actually um, kind of is leading philosophers and intellectuals to come to terms with the present and imagining kind of transition because of the crisis and there you know scholars are imagining that we are moving from the past to the present so this kind of historical imagination and also debates about you know periodization of history and that's the way the scholars and intellectuals and activists are engaging in the representation of capitalist experiences so i'm looking at periodization even repetition of history as historical unconscious. You also describe how capitalist logic plays out in media spectacle. What does that look like? If we take the example of North Korean refugees, for the last 10 years, especially from the late 1990s until late, late 2000s, but 10 period, 10 year period, is the period under which the progressive governments you know, seize the power in South Korea. At the time, no, you know, North Korean refugee crisis was widely reported on the media in South Korea and also around the world. Uh, CNN and BBC featured all kinds of stories and footage about North Koreans, you know, taking refugees, like, uh, for, you know, getting into consulates and embassies in China, and then also secret kind of clandestine rescue, I mean, F, you know, escape from North Korea. And there was media representation. Even we had uh, so many films about the North Korean escape. I see those as kind of spectacle because in reality, North Korean migration is irreducible to refugee taking, escaping from kind of draconian rule to freedom and, and then also other opportunities. So in reality, um, the most destitute didn't come to China and South Korea. And also we know that those migration from North Korea to China and then also South Korea, kind of expanded migration, I would call, was and also is very much embedded in the change that North Korea has gone through, marketization and privatization, and you know, even if rudimentary, it's very substantive, but also substantive, but also very much historically repeated measures. So it's a spectacle and the reality has to be taken into consideration in light of historic understanding of North Korean socialism as well. Your book articulates the capitalist unconscious at different historical moments. What are some of those moments? The moments is, uh, is when, again, as I mentioned about uh, European philosophers' imagination of industrial production and commodity production as a kind of moment of democracy. That's the era where the liberal creed was born. So Albert Hirschman, he has a seminal work on this you know, era. And then also other scholars worked on the mass utopia as the vision of the people's power in the industrial era, um, which is shared by the US and then also USSR. So market, I mean, mass utopia was shared across this kind of socialism and capitalism divide. And also mass utopia was practiced in you know, North Korea as well, like a Chalima spirit. In South Korea, the Minju movement was also an example of such mass you know, pa 
power, mass um, energy-utopia power. The way that people's sovereignty is imagined differently in different kinds of capitalism, you know, liberal capitalism, industrial capitalism, now finance capitalism and neoliberal capitalism because of different logics of capitalist accumulation and we have different imagination about you know, how individuals and collective are, are constructed. You're speaking today at the NAM Center for Korean Studies at the University of Michigan. What else can we look forward to hearing in your lecture this afternoon? So it has a three parts. The first part is about importance in remembering what's the original stake in thinking about unification. What was the original question? And the second part is how what's the current form? And the third part is and how to actually envisage a new form of national unification and where can we begin? And how to get out of the neoliberal capitalism, where can we begin? I present history, the politics of history as a kind of starting point. Hyun Ok Park is an associate professor in the Department of Sociology at York University in Toronto. Her book, The Capitalist Unconscious, From Korean Unification to Transnational Korea, is available from Columbia University Press. Thank you for speaking with The Korea File. Thank you very much. That's the Korea file for this week. To see Hyunok Park's full Nam Center lecture, check out The Capitalist Unconscious from Korean Unification to Transnational Korea on YouTube. While you're there, subscribe to the Nam Center's YouTube channel at UMICH and CKS. That's U M I C H N C K S. You can find new episodes of the Korea file on iTunes and Stitcher, and as a featured contributor at KoreaFM.net, KoreaBridge.net, and Anglo Info Seoul. Find them and like them on Facebook. You can find the Korea file there too, and on Twitter at the Korea file with daily links and current news about the peninsula. And please leave a review of the show on iTunes or wherever you subscribe. It'll help new listeners discover the show. Then check back wherever you found this podcast in mid-December for an interview with Korean-American artist Kate Herz-Ree on her provocative and politically charged work regarding Korea's modern beauty ideals recently presented at the NAM Center here at the University of Michigan. Until then, thanks for listening. From Ann Arbor, I'm Andre Goulet.